Welcome to Dinger Derby, the only podcast completely devoted to Texas Tech baseball. Join your host, Keith Patrick, every week for team news, guests, ranking updates, and game reports from opening weekend all the way through Omaha. We'll be hitting taters with the Red Raiders all season long. This is Dinger Derby. Welcome into the Dinger Derby podcast, the only podcast devoted 100% to Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. Thanks so much for jumping in today. Sorry I'm a day late, just had a busy weekend, lots of things going on, work and family, and just wasn't able to get to the recording on Sunday, but here I am Monday night getting a recording done for you. Excited to be here talking about some Texas Tech baseball. Your Red Raiders spent the weekend in a rainy Morgantown, West Virginia, Maybe not exactly the result everyone was looking for. Took one game out of three, the Sunday game against the Mountaineers, but the Red Raiders still 23-11 and on the season, now 6-6 six and six in conference play. So that puts Texas Tech tied for fourth, along with Oklahoma and West Virginia, all 6-6 six and six on the season. Now winning percentage will be what determines the Big 12 from here on out, as Baylor had a game canceled, so that changes the records. Not everybody will have the same record. So you have Texas Tech, Oklahoma, West Virginia all at 500, tied there in that fourth place spot. TCU at 556, Oklahoma State 7-5 at 583, Baylor 8-3 and with a 727 winning percentage. So the meat of the schedule still to come for the Red Raiders, all three teams above them still on the schedule, as well as one they're tied with in the Oklahoma Sooners. The Texas Longhorns have slipped a little bit. They're 5-6 and six now on the season, have dropped down. Kansas 4-8, and eight, Kansas State 3-6, and six, all teams that the Red Raiders have already played in this Big 12 season. Well, the Red Raiders knew the Friday game was going to be a tough one facing the big ace for West Virginia, Alec Manoa. He was the reigning national pitcher of the week, even though the outlet that named him that called him Alex Manoa. I'm sure that doesn't get annoying at all for the young man, but Manoa came out, was absolutely impressive. He threw a complete game shutout against the Red Raiders. Not something that's fun to talk about, but it was an impressive performance by him. Full nine innings pitched. He gave up four hits on the day. Three of those came to Gabe Holt alone. He had 15 Ks, gave up no walks in the contest, did it all in 125 pitches. Out of the hits that he did give up, one of those was an extra base hit to Cameron Warren. Cameron Warren with the only other hit for the Red Raiders, a double on the day. But Manoa was electric. I mean, that's just a fact of the matter. He was really excellent that day against the Red Raiders. So as I said, Red Raiders fall 2 to nothing on Friday night. Just could not get much going. Gabe Holt, as I said, went 3-4 for four against Manoa. He did strike out once. Manoa even at one point stopped Gabe as he came across the field. I believe he got picked off at second base and as he came back across and Manoa looks like he's telling him take it easy on me with three hits you know sometimes you think those guys are out there trash talking and they're really just all playing baseball together but not a great day for the Red Raiders all the way around Erickson Lanning does not have a bad outing he went four and a third innings pitched he gave up six hits but only two runs they were both earned one walk he had four K's faced 20 batters 73 pitches on the day he's got a 334 ERA after that outing, he gets the loss. John McMillan came in in relief, did three and two-thirds scoreless innings, one walk, six Ks in that time, just good old school John McMillan. Had a good strike-to-pitch ratio, 30 strikes and 53 pitches, 386 ERA for him, but 
Red Raiders just couldn't get a run across, just a frustrating day at the plate for them. You had seen Cole Stillwell on a hot streak, and he ends up getting shut out on the day, doesn't get a hit. As I said, Cameron Warren, the only other hit for the Red Raiders, going one for three on the day with that two-bagger. He strikes out once as well. So you head into the Saturday game, and this was a weekend that you expected to be changes a lot for weather. Friday did get a little bit of a move in time, but they were able to get the game in. But Saturday, apparently a nice day out there, and you think, okay, the Red Raiders are going to come out and compete. Nothing to complain about as far as weather goes. And overall, it's not a bad day offensively. Red Raiders get nine hits. They do have an error on the day. They leave seven aboard. Unfortunately, West Virginia with ten hits. They leave eight aboard. They're error-free. And the Red Raiders end up losing the game in just the most frustrating fashion you can imagine. They give up a walk-off walk in the bottom of the ninth to give West Virginia the win. And that's really what it is. It's just given away. That's a game that you should absolutely win. Micah Dallas came out four and two-thirds innings, gave up seven hits, three runs, all earned, two walks, had five Ks on the day, but gave up two extra base hits, just wasn't able to get him taken care of. He went 103 pitches in his four and two-thirds innings. Taylor Floyd came in in relief. He did a really a solid job in relief. Taylor Floyd has been impressive when it comes to throwing strikeouts. He went three and a third, two hits, one run, one walk, six Ks in his time up there on the bump, 62 pitches thrown. Dane Haveman did a third of an inning and really just came in to face a left-hander as Tim Tadlock likes to do. And then Clayton Beater comes in and Tim Tadlock was asked earlier in the week in the press availability by Don Williams, you know, if you're in a game, into the game, one out to go, who are you going to hand the ball to? And Tim Tadlock did not hesitate that he would give it to Clayton Beater. Well, unfortunately, Beater came in, ended up not getting the outs that he needed, bases loaded situation, and Beater came in with a walk. So, just not a great day there. Faced the one batter, walked him in. That was that was it. That's the walk-off walk there for the Mountaineers. So it was a good day at the plate for some Red Raiders. Cole Stillwell got back to his hitting ways, went three for four on the day. He had two RBI, did hit a double in his time out there. Josh Young, one for three. Brian Klein, one for four. Drew Baker, one for four. Max Marshock, one for four. He scored the run. Dylan Noisy scored a run as well. Gabe Holt, another solid day for him, two for five. Had a run scored, a couple of stolen bases, but Red Raiders just not able to get it done. That's one that you walk away from really frustrated, angry at the fact that you weren't able to close it out. It doesn't really matter that it's on the road, who you're against. That's a situation where you want to be the team that can finish that game off. The Mountaineers are surging. They've been hot. They're doing a really solid job, but they secure the series win there, and the Red Raiders are going to wish later in the season, I think, that they had this Saturday game back too. That was an opportunity there to to even the series, and ultimately they could have gotten the win on Sunday, and it was a situation on the road where you really want to step up as a team and fight through adversity and close one out. So you can only assume that Coach Tadlock and probably others were frustrated with how this game went and really wanted to shake things up. So you end up seeing the start in left field going back to Cody Masters, who also is in the leadoff hitting spot in the lineup. Gabe Holt moves into the three-hole. Cole Stillwell sitting at DH in the two-hole. Then Josh Young, who moves from third base to shortstop, top five prospect, named the best third base prospect in the country preseason moves over to the shortstop position and moves into the cleanup spot batting fourth. Brian Klein is at second base in the five hole noisy center field six Warren still at first base in the seven Parker Kelly 
replaces Josh Young at third base. He's in the eight hole. Mason Menzi gets the start at catcher and Caleb Killian the start on the bump. So Killian moving to the Sunday spot and then all kinds of shakeup in the lineup and in the field defensively. But anyone that sat there and watched the game felt like it worked all right. You had Cody Masters going one for three on the day. He also walked. Cole Stilwell goes one for four with a run scored. He has a walk as well. Gabe Holt, another multi-hit day going two for five. He has a ribby and a two-bagger this time. Josh Young, unfortunately, blanked at the plate, but he does draw two walks, and that does end up being important for the Red Raiders, as as always, just having runners on base. Parker Kelly goes one for four with a run scored. He has a two-bagger as well. The He had three strikeouts on the day, but did get a hit when it counted. He also drew a walk. Parker Kelly was really impressive from the field. He made some great plays at third base, had a diving play to his left to grab a ball headed through the gap and get that one over to first base in time. Really made some nice snags over there. Showed a lot of arm strength. I think if there's one knock you could make on Josh Young is he doesn't have just an incredible power arm. He can make some good throws over there, but he'll catch himself a little far back or off balance, and he just doesn't flash the arm strength that you see from others. Kelly showed some arm strength, and if if he's not struggling at the plate, you certainly might have an opportunity there to to keep this shakeup happening. Josh Young looked absolutely fantastic at shortstop. He made two really, really impressive plays. One of them, fielding the ball, running away towards third, ends up turning and basically throwing across his body. It was a great dig by Cameron Warren, but ends up being an out and just an absolute highlight reel play. He has a diving play as well in getting the ball over to Warren in time. Cameron Warren was excellent on Sunday. He was doing the splits. He was getting huge stretches. He was really digging that ball out. Did a really solid job over there for the Red Raiders. The senior was was playing his heart out. It was really an impressive day all the way around. You felt like the Red Raiders had it well in hand. And the only reason you got nervous in the game was just to see if Caleb Killian was going to be able to continue what he started. Killian goes a complete game shutout, just like Manoa did. He has nine strikeouts on the day. It's a two-hitter for Caleb Killian, and on top of that, he throws a Maddox. He throws a complete game shutout in under 100 total pitches. It took Alec Manoa 125 pitches to get it done. Caleb Killian did it in 94. 69 strikes thrown in 94 pitches. Just an excellent day for Caleb Killian. He faced 29 batters on the day, and he retired the final 19 of them in order. So the final batter of the third inning, Caleb Killian, retired everyone in order from there on out. He was electric. He had fantastic stuff that day. He was a competitor on the mound. It was really nice to see Caleb Killian get out there and show you what he's really capable of. He came up big for Texas Tech when they needed him. There were plenty on Twitter that were making the case for Caleb Killian to be the new player of the week, the Big 12 player of the week, things of that nature. Those Big 12 awards have come out. It did go to Alec Manoa, the pitcher of the week. I will say that Gabe Holt also definitely deserves some love from this weekend, and he's going to get some for me. I'm going to name Gabe Holt the player of the series for Texas Tech. He went 7 for 14 on the weekend, batting 500. 
He had an RBI, a run scored, a double, and three stolen bases. And keep in mind, he was three for four against Alec Manoa on Friday. So that's three for four against the National Pitcher of the Week, probably the National Pitcher of the Week again, the Big 12 Pitcher of the Week. Gabe Holt had Manoa's number last year as well when the Red Raiders played West Virginia, but he really went out there and put it on him this weekend. Good to see Gabe Holt kind of get back to form. I know he's been battling through. He's been frustrated. He's tweeted a little bit about it and just how he's – you know, kind of battling through some adversity, and that can be hard. But he's dragged his batting average up to a three twelve now. He does lead the Red Raiders in at-bats at 138 at-bats on the season. He's got 26 runs scored, 43 hits. He's second on the team behind Brian Klein and hits by just a couple. He's got seven doubles on the season, tied with Klein, who also has seven. Cameron Warren has nine, and Josh Young has 11 doubles. Gabe's slugging a 399 right now. He's got 22 walks on the season. He's fourth on the team in walks. And then, of course, leading not only the team, but the Big 12 in stolen bases, 21 for 24 on the season in stolen bases. He's 20th in the country in stolen bases and stolen bases per game. And as I said, leading the Big 12. Gabe's still a powerful player for the Red Raiders and somebody that is only going to continue to get better. Really curious to see how the rest of his season goes and what kind of decisions he'll be making as they come his way. So Gabe Holt's my player of the series against the West Virginia Mountaineers. No question about that. Caleb Killian is obviously going to be the pitcher of the series for me. Nine innings pitched, two hits, no runs, no walks, nine Ks, retires 19 batters in a row. That's his first complete game, matched his career high in strikeouts. That was Texas Tech's first complete game shutout since Cameron Smith did it in 2014 in the Coral Gables Regional against Miami. It was Tech's first complete game with no free passes since Trey Mossick did it in 2013 against LaSalle. And that's the lowest hit total allowed in a complete game shutout since A.J. Ramos did it against Kansas on April 20th, 2007. Really a great job by Caleb Killian. I'm not going to have a hitter of the week this week. Gabe Holt would own it without question. A couple of good days out there for other players. Cole Stilwell had a three-for-four day on Saturday. But overall, just don't have a hitter of the week out there to award. Gabe Holt would have been it. He was the player of the week. He was the hitter of the week. There was some good performances here and there, but I'm going to leave the awards at that. So all in all, the Red Raiders take one of three from West Virginia and Morgantown. Not a lot of fireworks or crazy things go on. Just a frustrating game on Friday as you get shut down by a really, really elite pitcher who did a solid job out there. You can't take anything away from Manoa. He did a good job. Then you give one away on Saturday with a walk-off walk. Your young stud closer has been battling through some adversity right now himself. Coach Tadlock thinks those things are mechanical. He'll work through them and be better for it, but kind of the growing pains of working through them can be frustrating, certainly for fans, I'm sure for the team as well. And then Sunday, you come out with a brand new look and it seems to work out pretty well and take the game three, nothing behind a fantastic pitching effort by Caleb Killian and some good showing at the plate all the way around. Talking about it with a friend today, I feel like I wouldn't mind seeing Josh Young at shortstop a little bit more, Parker Kelly as well. Certainly don't want to mess up anyone's future, but showing Josh Young is, has the versatility to go over to shortstop isn't going to hurt him any. And if Parker Kelly can make the plays and make the throws over there and he continues to work okay at the plate, I'd be curious to see how things go. I think maybe there's been a little bit of effort to force Max Marshock 
onto the field. I'm not sure what the reasoning for that might be. Maybe there's big scholarship numbers there that the coaches want to justify. Maybe it's a matter of just feeling like he's good enough to be out there. He just needs to get some experience. I'm not sure. The speed is obviously there. Speed isn't everything. If it was, Marshawk would be doing a little bit better stealing bases. Gabe Holt has proven that. Gabe Holt, still one of the fastest players in the conference, hands down, I don't know if Marshawk's faster straight on head-to-head or not, but Gabe Holt's showing that there's definitely some style and some uh, some book learning that goes along with stealing those bases. But I think if Cody Masters is hitting, if he can make the plays and make the throws from left field, let's keep things the way they are and see if this is going to work. I mean, we've definitely seen this coaching staff change the lineup around and try some different things late in the season before, but certainly would love to see him settle in and find out what works now. It sure seemed to work against... West Virginia on Sunday. You know, you if you're going to win a game after a, in a series like that, winning the Sunday game's not bad. It leaves you with a little bit of hope and not a bad taste in your mouth, but would definitely love to see this team put it together because the time is coming. I told you a little while back, thought this t- team had a couple weeks to figure things out. They were going to be playing Kansas. They had the road trip to a neutral site with New Mexico State, had this series against West Virginia. You could play in Duke tomorrow, Tuesday in a in a midweek game out there in North Carolina, and then you're heading to the meat of the Big 12 schedule. You'll be hosting Baylor over Easter weekend coming up pretty quick. So would be nice to get back on track here for the Red Raiders 100%. Let's talk a little bit here about the Duke Blue Devils, then I'll let you go. I will be back in your feed on Thursday, and we'll preview that Baylor series. I do realize that series starts on Thursday as it's Easter weekend and so the games will start a little bit early. But we'll get a preview out there for you as quick as possible, talking about those Baylor Bears who are currently number one in the Big 12 Conference. So the Duke Blue Devils, this is your foe from the Super Regional here in Lubbock last season. I have not hidden my disdain for the style of baseball that I saw from them. Certainly the way their coach acted on more than one occasion, just not my favorite way to play baseball or to act out there on the diamond, but that's just me. I'm a, I'm a Tim Tadlock homer, and I don't appreciate that kind of play, but that's all right. going to go out and play the Blue Devils. That'll be a good game for the Red Raiders, a good test there, a good little bit of a rematch opportunity to play an ACC team, so the Red Raiders will have all five Power Five conferences under their belt this season, and I'm sure that game, being where it is in that hotbed in North Carolina, they play in the Durham Bulls Athletic Park. And uh, you'll see a lot of scouts out there getting looks at Red Raiders that they may not get looks at otherwise, that region of scouts. So that'll be good for the players as well. But run through the uh, Duke season briefly. They started their season off with a sweep at home of Lehigh. They won a midweek against Davidson and then took two of three from Northwestern. That was a neutral site game, but that neutral site game was in Durham, North Carolina. That was a four-game series, but one of those games got canceled. They had a win over Richmond at home in a midweek, and then they took two of three from Penn State, but that was down in Florida in a neutral site. They got swept at home in a two-game midweek against Penn, losing six, seven, and 11 innings, and then one to three in a Wednesday game. They took two of three from Virginia in Charlottesville. They lost the Saturday game, then came back and won the doubleheader on Sunday, showing a little grit there. Took a midweek game against East Carolina at home and then got swept at home by the University of Louisville. So not a fun series there against Louisville. That was back in mid-March. 
that they did that. Then go lose the midweek game versus the Campbell Camels at home the next week. So they're on a four-game skid there. Then at home again, hosting Wake Forest. They take the Friday game but lose Saturday and Sunday, losing the series at home there to Wake Forest. Take a midweek against Davidson and then another sweep, this one on the road to North Carolina against the rivals. So not a fun one there. Another loss to East Carolina in a midweek on April 3rd. And then they take a sweep of Pittsburgh at home. It was a four-game series. They only played three. The first game got postponed. Took a final 7-5 to five at in Durham against North Carolina Central on April 9th. And then they won a series two games out of three against Virginia Tech on a neutral side as well. Had a first game get suspended on Friday the 12th. And now here we are, and they're playing Texas Tech. The game will be telecast on ACC Network Extra. I assume that you will be able to find that on the ESPN app. That game is going to be at 6 o'clock Eastern time, 6 Eastern time. So that game should be at 5 p.m. Central time. If there's a different time out there, I apologize. I know that there's been some confusion about that. I heard it on the radio here in Lubbock this morning, but 6 o'clock Eastern time, 5 o'clock Central is what I am seeing. If that's different, I'll tweet it out for you as well. So to look quickly at the Blue Devils statistics, there's only have one batter this season batting over 300. That's Kenny Taylor with a 329. He's got 28 runs on the season, which is tied for first with Ethan Murray. But otherwise, things are not looking so hot there in the batting department. Everyone else below 300, which I know is still not bad if you're batting a 288 or a 286, 281. But in college baseball, elite teams generally, you're going to see most starters batting over 300. Kenny Taylor is slugging 532. He's got 84 total bases on the season. He's definitely hitting the extra base hits. He leads them by far in RBI with 31. He's got four dingers on the season. That's tied with Kyle Gallagher. He's got two triples, 16 doubles. I mean, he's really leading them in basically every offensive category, 52 hits on the season. He's definitely the guy to look out for as the threat at the plate. There are others that can play as well. Rudy Maxwell, 288. Chase Cheek, 286. I know numbers don't tell the whole story. Uh, Ethan Murray does lead them with 22 walks. Cheek has 17. But when it comes down to it, just offensively, the team is not doing the things that you expect them to do, especially being a super regional team from last year. As far as the pitching goes, you're obviously not going to see weekend pitching in a midweek single Tuesday game. You may see Graham Stinson. That's a name you might recognize for the Blue Devils. He's got five appearances, all of them starts this season. He's got a 458 ERA in 19 and two-thirds innings pitched. They do have a couple of guys that have seen a lot of work, not, not many starts. Ben Gross has five starts in his 12 appearances, 33 and two-thirds innings pitched. Hunter Davis, also 33 and two-thirds. I believe he's a reliever for them. He's got a 160 ERA. And Thomas Gerard, 27 and a third innings pitched. 16 appearances, no starts. He's got a 132 ERA. I mean, all the all around, you have some pretty good pitching. They're going to have some pretty good arms on the team. Their starters, you know, they're going to hang around and, and do weekend work. Probably not going to see them on a Tuesday, even if it is Texas Tech coming to town, but may see one of the other guys that I mentioned there. Well, that's going to do it for me tonight, folks. Going to keep it short for you. Get this thing wrapped up and in your feed as quickly as I can. I will be back as soon as possible to preview the Baylor Bears for you. 
Not sure what we're going to see trot out there, what the lineup's going to look like going into this Duke game on Tuesday. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Curious to see if Coach Tadlock will stick with what works. I did notice something else during the Sunday game. The team started out with Coach Tadlock coaching third and J. Bob Thomas coaching first as usual, but finished the game with Eric Gutierrez, the volunteer assistant, coaching first and J. Bob Thomas coaching third. Now, there was some swap outs that happened last season, probably around this time in that kind of setup. Tim Tadlock went out to third and ended up staying there. So I'm wondering, there's one of two options. Either Uh, They changed some things up and stuck with it out of superstition, which is certainly possible. Also, there was a time on Sunday, and not that the broadcasters for West Virginia were going to tell us what was going on. They didn't seem to know anything that was going on most of the time. But Tim Tadlock was barking from the steps at one point after a punch out that he wasn't a fan of. You know, arguing balls and strikes with an umpire is always a dangerous proposition, especially on the road. So it's possible he didn't get run, but Coach Tadlock may have got stuck in the dugout for the rest of that game. I'm not sure if that's how it went down or not, but something to look at, just basic changes out there. You know, just interesting to see when they change things up, kind of just a peek behind the curtain to see what they're thinking and why. I'll see if I can find anything else out about it. But it's been a fun one. Always appreciate getting to talk to you a little bit about baseball. Appreciate y'all tuning in, continuing to tell folks about the show. I continue to see new states pop up every week with downloads coming from them. All you folks out there in Maine listening to all the episodes, I appreciate you. I see those downloads coming. That means a lot to me. I think over 30 states so far downloading Dinger Derby and listening to the podcast means a lot. I've seen 10 countries come through as well. I know Chris Dunn has had a little bit to do with that, traveling around, doing his thing, and looking forward to seeing more of that happen. So appreciate all y'all out there. Appreciate you interacting with me on Twitter, the things that you send along, the questions you give me. I have something lined up for you coming up this week. There's some special things happening in baseball this week, a big vote coming about potentially adding a third paid assistant to college baseball and college softball. Going to try to get a special guest on to talk about that who has some pretty specific opinions about it and has had some things to say to Kirby Hokut and others in the Big 12, the Big 10, and across the country. So hopefully we'll have that for you coming up. Probably drop that as an extra episode for you, something to listen to, just some news around college baseball in general. But until then, we'll talk to you soon. Enjoy every minute of it. Can't wait to see more baseball as the Baylor Bears come to town. If I don't see you before then, we'll see you at the ballpark this weekend. And until then, wreck them. Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby and sharing our love for Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. You can connect with Keith on Twitter at Dinger underscore Derby and find more Texas Tech sports content at stakingtheplains.com. Help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes. And remember to tell your friends about the show. Keith will be back next week with another episode of Dinger Derby. And until then, wreck of tech. Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone There's just one kind of man that you can trust That's a dead man or a gringo like me Be the first one to fire Every man is a liar There's just one kind of man who tells the truth That's a dead man or a gringo like me